This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, helicopter accidents are in a full-down auto-rotation. And AOPA is going to meet with the FAA to talk about Mar-a-Lago restrictions. An extensive survey says privatization is not wanted. And more from As the Santa Monica Airport Turns. <laughs> Finally, stick around. Our guest this week, Brian Skanky from Adventure Seaplanes. They're going to have a great talk about polar bears, of all things. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. All right. You ready to do Hangar Talk, David? Let's do it, Ian. Okay, uh, we teased at the beginning our number five story helicopter accidents. Yeah, they're on their way down. That's a good thing. And, yeah, uh, I know you're a helicopter pilot. Yeah, so, so hopefully you can speak to that. Uh, yeah, well, I, I uh, thankfully I don't know much about helicopter accidents. Um, knock on wood. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it turns out it, what's been kind of a stubborn accident rate for a while uh-huh. uh, is starting to come down. They were waiting on the flight hour data. We talked about that, I think, before with surveys. Yeah, the part, uh, the, the normal GA survey that, yeah. um, that we put out. It's very important for people to fill that out. When yeah, yeah, minute. because it gives you the, the flight hours, which then allows them to calculate, among other things, the accident rate. Right. And so, yeah, they're finding that it is decreasing. Um, and that's, uh, that's confirmed by AOPA's uh, statistical analysis as well. So lots of good news out there. Administrator Werda, I guess, talked a little bit about why he thinks that's happening. Uh-huh. He says, quote, the FAA and helicopter industry have worked together to educate the civil helicopter community about safe practices to drive these improved results. Well, I'll tell you what, just having a couple of helicopter lessons underneath my belt. Yeah. I, you know, the first thing primarily is safety. And also it was just, it was eye opening how difficult it was just to hover. Yeah. I didn't think I did a very good job as a fixed wing pilot, <laughs> but my instructor JP said I did. Yeah. So I'll go with that. Yeah. But it's a whole, it's like, a, it's like a touch. Yeah, it is. It's a whole different type of operation. And you know, the thing with helicopters is so many people, they, they work, right? I mean, right. these are working They're machines. They're working machines, that's right. And, and you think about rescues yeah. uh, up in high altitude situations yep. or in bad weather situations and yep. car crashes. And yep. when no one else is flying, the helicopter is there and, and close to the scene. Yeah, it's always amazing to me. You know, we, we actually, we just happen to live, I think, in between maybe the airport and the hospital or mm-hmm. something because all the time we'll get helicopters flying over. And, 
you know, it's like I look outside and I think, man, this weather, it's just unbelievable to me right. what they'll go in. And because they, you know, they, they go and they save lives. And so they do. That's their job. And yeah. It doesn't matter if it's night or day, fog. Yeah. You know? So I think that was driving it a lot of times. But they, you know, there's been a lot of focus on that, on uh-huh. safety for those types of, they call them HEMS, you know, the, those operations. And a focus on a little more IFR proficiency. Right. Um, I, you know, I always wondered, it's like you'd hear these, these really horrific helicopter accidents and you think like, why didn't they just file? Why didn't they go IFR? Yeah. And, um, well, a lot aren't capable. Yeah. That's it. And I I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, They're just, they can't, um, they're, they're visual only because the, uh, IFR is a higher standard for helicopters in terms of equipment and training and stuff. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's, um, so yeah, a lot of times they can't, and so they try and scoot underneath, and there'll be a CFIT accident or something. That makes like that. sense. Well, speaking of which, we were out west in uh, in Salem, Oregon earlier. Uh, well, actually, just late last year, and those helicopters fly in all kinds of weather: snow, sleet, rain, or hail to harvest these Christmas trees. Yeah, it's quite cool to see that operation uh, going on. If anyone hasn't seen that, our podcast listeners ought to just do a little Google search or check out aopa.org and and look at our story from Salem. But nonetheless. Up and down over terrain, just hugging that terrain. Yep. It makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, uh, you know, especially, I mean, in cases like that, it's like you don't get paid if you're not flying. So, no. Yeah. And, uh, I, they're, I and, they're doing, and they were doing it for an altruistic cause to make people happy. And then yeah. the other helicopter operators that we're talking about for emergency situations, they were just trying to save lives. Yeah. And Coast Guard. Yeah. You know, There's a lot of pressure there. Plucking people out of the water. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's good. It's yeah. good. They're on their way. That's awesome. Okay, so next story, uh, David. I think I think you teased this one. <laughs> it's it's amazing. You know, this story initially started to get some play kind of locally, and then in aviation circles. And just over the weekend, you said you heard it where? I did. I heard on uh, heard it on the radio on NPR. Yeah. At, uh, at Mar-a-Lago, when uh, President Donald Trump is headed down there. Um, actually, just got back today. Yeah. From Florida for a weekend trip. And it's really uh, affecting a lot of businesses there, not even just at the airport. Yeah. I was surprised to find out that some of the uh, businesses, uh, local businesses downtown were affected as well by street closures. Yeah. But with aviation leading the way for us, for AOPA, that's where we're concerned about this. You know, we're, we're really concerned about helicopter operators, speaking of which, mm-hmm. and also uh, sightseeing operators and some of the banner towers and, and really a lot of flight lessons going on there in that in that Palm Beach area. Yeah. So I know um, the ten the, that inner 10-mile ring, I don't know if uh, folks have experience with a presidential TFR, but typically what you'll find, it varies, but typically you'll get a, a 30-mile kind of outer ring right. that's, you know, you got talk and squawk and flight plan. Um, and then a 10 mile for GA for almost all GA, no flies. Basically on. nothing. You're grounded. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, so, what's really affected these guys. Cause they're only like six miles away from Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Atlantana. Yeah. Right. And I read it in the times actually over the weekend. And, New York times had yeah. a piece. I mean, it was all over the news. So of course we reported it first yeah. at AOPA.org yeah, yeah. and we talked about it at the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Our listeners will remember, I'm sure. Yeah. And so there's been a little bit of development since then. Um, I, our guys uh, down in D.C., they're reaching out to FAA because we have had success in the past with sure. essentially providing cutouts or changing the shape slightly to, to lessen the impacts. And that's a, one of the ideas that we're floating right now. Yeah. So do a little bit of a cutout, kind of like a nip in that circle yep. so that flight training ops can still happen. It, it's a million-dollar uh a year business down there. Yeah. And really we don't want to see any, anyone shut down, especially by a president who has said that he really supports economic growth. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's right. Um, 
So it, it is interesting. I mean, a lot of people will say, well, you know, it's the FAA's airspace and, um, you know, they have full control. So get in there and knock some heads and get them to lessen it. But it's like, it's not that easy when you're talking about a presidential TFR. You're talking about secret service. Yeah. You're talking about national security. And it's, 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 I can tell you from covering the president several times, uh, it's a tough deal. Yeah. Security is tight, tight. Yeah. And I know in the time story, it's like they, uh, they, the reporter went to the FAA for a quote and the FAA just referred him to secret service. It's like, kidding. yeah, we're not even going to talk about it. Oh, um, wow. Just go to Secret Service. So, so we'll see what the outcome is there. Um, I, I think it's going to be a, a long four years for those folks if if we don't find some relief. I um, hope that we do. Yeah, because I mean, it, it, the bottom line is that it does affect you know hundreds of people and millions of dollars. Yeah. So that's now one significant one thing we should say is these efforts are much more effective when it's clear that we're trying to play by the rules. Exactly. And I know there are a couple of reports also from this weekend of, of bus, of TFR bus. Well, that's the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. So you definitely have to check notums. You've got to abide by the rules with these TFRs because it's a lot easier for us to go down and say, hey, look, we're trying to do our part. If everyone is doing the right thing. Yeah. And they're squawking, talking, or they're on the ground doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise it makes it bad for everybody. Yeah, definitely. I understand that. So we'll let you know how that turns out. Yeah. And so we got another meeting. We've got a meeting scheduled later in February. So we'll see what's happening. Yeah, see how that goes. All right. So next thing we want to talk about, the number three story, is a little bit of drone stuff. Slight departure for us, but uh, as the drone world continues to expand um and provide crossover with what you know manned aviation right we had a story up earlier this week that's uh it's pretty neat neat uh, technology yeah there's a, a a company out there that's done a lot of work for the super bowl and they are um, coming up with a tethered drone system now one might ask what does that mean a tethered drone well i remember tetherball from way back when, <laughs> when i was in school so it's a drone that's attached be a cord okay and so uh, a couple of things come to mind with that number one for broadcasting it will allow a drone to stay up a lot longer oh, and right. it's a, a lot so less per, so power i guess you yeah, get through the tether that's the other thing i was that's gonna awesome. mention have you flown a drone a little bit yeah i've been i mean mostly not sort of real professional payload type drones but yeah small and sort of rc they drones. have about 20 to 30 minutes yeah, uh, battery life yeah and so you can't really have a live tv broadcast if you're having to power down all the time yeah so one way of providing power is with a with a tether that's cool and also the the video feed the optical feed for video oh nice so that would be good and um and the the one one or two things that it brings up would be this is talking about a little bit uh flying over people which mm-hmm. is something fa doesn't want drone folks to do yeah. right now so we have to keep an eye on that but what i was excited about to tell our podcast listeners was yeah. to was to pay attention in the next couple of weeks because we will soon have a drone pilot newsletter yeah i know you guys have been working really hard on this um and so this is part of the uh, drone membership that AOPA will be launching here, uh, really, as we record this in the next day or two. Yeah. Um, and the deal is to provide some services that aren't out there currently for uh, for drone operators, mm-hmm. like our uh, pilot protection, which includes legal service. I have utilized that myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great service. It's um, a great one. And yeah. It's very inexpensive. Yeah, it really is. And, and I don't think anything like that exists in the drone world. Um, we'll also offer insurance and some training and education financing for yep. the bigger drones. Yep. And, um, and then the drone newsletter will be following kind of the developments. Right. And so, uh, folks might uh, keep in mind that, that drones encompass a lot of things and mean a lot of different things to different people. Like the, the folks at Powerline uh, doing the tethered system, that's, you know, a high end commercial yeah. deal. But, um, you know, we're also looking to, to get some education training and pilot protection services for people like me who have a, I like got a little phantom, standard 
drone yeah. was four or five hundred dollars. Yeah, I just wanted to learn how to fly the thing, and uh, you know, I'm a, a, a photo video guy, so mm-hmm. I'm interested in that too. Mm-hmm. But it's great to have backup from AOPA. And the newsletter is going to have news events. It's going to have advocacy in there, Ian. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to talk about some some fe- you know some feature stories about cool people doing neat things with drones. Oh, cool! Yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. I got to say, what I've learned so far, people who do this stuff professionally are um, it, it's really amazing. I mean, they're they're we call them pilots or operators or whatever, but it's like they they treat it just like pilots treat flying. It's like they. Look at notums, and they review weather and airspace. Checklist and, yeah. before you go fly. Yeah, they're really conscientious. Yeah. So it's it's pretty neat to see it coming up like this. And it is, and uh, I have a lot of uh, photo friends that are very interested. I've actually sent them some some yeah. handouts and and get them to tune in to aopa.org to find out more. But they're very interested, and they're pretty serious about it. And, and I must say, for folks who are not pilots. That Part 107 test, which yeah. is for commercial drone operations, is pretty hard, yeah, I've heard. I, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it's no <laughs> so, joke. I, so yeah. For us, you know, folks like you and me, I think we could, we could, you know, we'd have a little bit easier time with it. But yeah. never ever has been, so are, are gonna be, it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not a gimme. I yeah. agree. But a uh, lot, lot there in the drone industry, and hopefully we'll also welcome new pilots into yeah. the AOPA uh, fold. And that's what we want to do is grow aviation and have fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. And drone flying is pretty fun. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's cool. I want to get my daughter into it. Oh, yeah. It, they say kids are like totally obsessed with it. And so I would think it would be a cool thing. Yeah. Neat. All right, cool. Hey, so um, it's that time again. Santa Monica. As the World Turns used to be a, a pretty popular soap opera <laughs> back in the day. This could be the As the Santa Monica Airport Turns. Yeah, as the drama continues to unfold. It does, it does. And now look, the latest thing was, um, you know, the FAA came up with a, uh, Administrator Huerta said it was a fair deal mm-hmm. to keep Santa Monica open yeah. until 2028. But all, almost immediately, the local uh, local folks, the politicians there, were, were trying to, to stranglehold the airport. Yeah. So, Some really unbelievable stuff. They had a, a rally a couple days after the deal was announced. They did. Yeah. And it, it, it was not pretty. No. But, um, it, you know, it kind of makes me wonder if you've written an agreement and you signed an agreement and you said you're going to keep it open and keep the FBOs open and keep the fuel flowing. And there's a lot of flight training ops there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that provides millions of dollars yet again, millions of dollars of business. Yeah. Why not just keep it open like you said you would? Yeah. Well, apparently, I guess because they're getting uh, pressure from the local residents, but it's like they would rather see an empty piece of concrete for the next 12 years than, uh, than like you say, some economic benefit, totally. which is crazy. And so, it's a ton of economic benefit. Yeah. And I haven't been there, but I, do, I did a little research, and I do know that they have a really cool performing arts place. They're a little hangar there where mm-hmm. you can get performing arts. There are restaurants near there that are driving the economy. And the thing that um, Joe Kilday, who wrote a story recently for us, um, said that there, there are several numbers to keep in mind. Keep these numbers in mind. He said 12, 7, and 4. So it's a dozen years, mm-hmm. which Joe says, and he's politically connected. He said yeah. that's an eternity yeah. in politics. It really is. And then the seven members of the city council there are elected every four years. Mm. So uh, his idea was, hey, keep an eye on this. Things could change. We have some time to, to affect some change. Yeah. Come up with another plan. 
think about 12 years. I was just thinking about how you said it's an eternity in politics. Think about like presidential politics from 12 years. Like it could be three different administrations. I mean, there was no Barack Obama. There was no uh, Donald Trump. There was no Tea Party. You're right. There was no like extreme left wing movement. I mean, that's pretty no. amazing. It is. It is a lot. Like, could all of that, that in the past 12 years. There so is. think about how yeah how much it could change locally there in and Santa a big Monica. rotation locally too. Yeah. And I know some of the council members there um, were. Um, I think they were put into office recently. Mm-hmm. So it's not like every one of them were put in at the same time. There's yeah. a little bit of a rotation there. Yeah. And several are for keeping the airport open and several are not. So there's definitely some movement that could happen there. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely something that we're going to keep our eye on because it's like at this rally, they were talking about unbelievable things. Like for example, doing unauthorized searches of every pilot who goes to the airport. I can't believe that someone even want to do that. Yeah. So it's, um, to make a pilot's life really ridiculous. Yeah. Just to make the point to scare them away, basically. I don't get it. Yeah. So, uh, definitely something we're going to, AOPA is continuing to push on and we'll keep following and everything else, but it's, uh, pushing pretty hard on that one. Yeah. Our, our advocacy folks, that's right up their alley. Yeah. And that's a lot of folks maybe listening to the podcast don't realize that we have such a big effort behind the scenes to uh, keep airspace open, to keep airports open. And really, we can use help from other people that are out on the street, you know, yeah. folks who are, who are pilots and instructors listening to the podcast. If you see something, hear something that doesn't sound right, let us know. Yeah, that's a great point, actually, because it's especially with a place like with something, an issue like airports, it's like local engagement is key really critical oh, like in, until the until you get involved locally nothing's going to happen true so keep yeah. your eyes and ears out like, yeah. keep your eyes open ears open and and keep a lookout yeah all right so another issue that's uh it's going to be long uh you know going to continue on for a long time i think that we need to talk about uh that is coming up again privatization atc privatization yep so you remember um in the bill i guess boy it was maybe last summer that uh they were pushing ATC privatization again right, right. Um, with user fees, but with, with a, a little bit of a different formula this time, but with user fees yeah. because, of course, you got to pay for it somehow. Mm-hmm. So for the time, it was it was beaten back, tabled, kind of put on hold. It is starting to come up again. Uh, Chairman Schuster's talked about it. He the has. president's talked about it. In fact, the president met with um, some airline CEOs. He did uh, about a week ago. Yep. Of course, one of the things that they wanted to talk about, they, they talked about, they said next gen and how it's not working for them, but they take next gen and move it straight into privatization, which they want. Right. Essentially, because they're going to get, they think, an outsized amount of influence in the ATC system. They do. Now, we, we should alert our podcast listeners that GA will be on the panel of any kind of ATC movement. Yeah. Yeah. First that, of all. Yeah, that would definitely be one of our positions. So it's interesting because uh, if I don't know if you remember the group Alliance for Aviation Across America. Um, they, in combination with a couple other groups, did a, a oh, really survey. extensive survey. Yeah. Tell us about that. There's, you know, we know, obviously, in aviation, uh, general aviation, we're against privatization and, and think that it's a, a bad move forward because it's like, well... First of all, you know, it's not broken, right? Our ATC system yeah, is not broken. Yeah, it works fine. I, yeah. I utilized it on Saturday flying yeah. from, uh, from Frederick to Delaware through the SFRA. Yeah. And everything worked fine. Works great, right? And the, the great controllers. controllers were happy. They were yep. nice. They were, they were cordial. And they're there when you need them. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think some of us have needed them before. Yeah. And yeah. so it's not like that everywhere in the world, obviously. No, absolutely uh-huh. not. We don't want to go that way. Yeah. So... The uh, anyway, this group they did a survey of not just of of pilots and of uh, aircraft owners and people who are really really closely affected, but also uh, just voters. They just did a, a broad likely voter survey, 
and found that uh, more than 60% of voters oppose privatizing ATC. I think that's significant to think about that. Mm-hmm. And um, that was actually a very interesting survey, but not just from, from that standpoint, but just on what people were thinking a little bit about you know, G- GA in general. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a very all-encompassing survey. Yeah. But yeah, they the, say, um, what was it? Uh, a couple of the quotes that came out, the FAA is, quote, well-regarded. They were. And the agency was, quote, seen as doing a good job managing the ATC system. Yeah, and uh, and going back to the meeting that um, that the airlines had with President Trump, they were pretty quick to, to point out that the uh, head of the FAA wasn't a pilot. Yeah. Now, I, get, I understand that. I get it. Yeah. But he's also a, a, a pretty astute transportation official yeah. that understands the system pretty well. Yeah. And uh, so there's a there was a little bit of you know contentiousness in that in that meeting, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know that the system is broken like you just said. Yeah. Uh, it could be better. I think that next gen has taken a, a long time to get to the forefront, mm-hmm. but it, it's almost there. Yeah, as far as I can tell. Yeah, with ADSB coming online real mm-hmm. soon, 2020. Yeah. yeah, we're definitely past the halfway point. <laughs> Three years away now. <laughs> so yeah. It's uh, and obviously a huge amount of investment's gone into it already. I think the thing that bothers me about the airlines is that they continually say it's like, well, you know, ATC and GA and all that's like they're the cause of our delays. If you just let us run the ATC system and everything else, we'll be better, right? We'll we'll have fewer delays. Yeah, it's which is totally like, bogus. Yeah, I don't know who's it's buying ridiculous. that. They. Anytime, I mean, we've driven on crowded highways, right? Yeah. You sure. jam more cars into those highways, traffic snarls. When yeah. you try and land a ton of airplanes on the same amount of runways, right? traffic is going to snarl. And it's at the bigger airports. It's at the commercial hubs and yeah. not, the, not the GA you know, commuter yeah. hubs. Yeah. Have you uh, taken a, the little tour? This is on topic, but a little bit off to the side. Have All you right. taken the tour over at, um, at the... Um, the Potomac Approach I have Center. been in Potomac. Yeah. I haven't done like a formal tour, but I've been there for stories and stuff. It was so interesting. Yeah. And so what comes to mind is talking about delays. Yeah. Is that one of the uh, controllers there was, was telling uh, me and my daughter, we went there for a nice little group tour, mm-hmm. that when the weather goes down at one airport, and this is obvious, but I mean, it's, and she had like graphs and charts on a computer screen that went up and down. As you looked at them, you could see them rising and falling. And that was the domino effect at other airfields. Mm-hmm. And so and these are, you know, the Deltas and the Southwest jets that are having to rearrange their schedules. Yeah. And at a certain point in time, they knew that there was going to be a ton of flights that were going to be delayed and canceled. Yeah. And so really that's more, uh, it's more of the, the big airlines and the weather affecting things than, uh, than us. Oh yeah. In GA. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, uh, you'll find that somebody's done an analysis, and I, I I need to look it up, and we'll bring it back and talk about it some other time. But that the three New York area airports, uh-huh. so you're talking a, a minor fraction of the number of airports in the entire system. JFK, LaGuardia, Newark. Yep. Uh-huh. That they cause some huge percentage of the total system delays. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. There's just a ton of people going in and out of there. Yeah. And not just domestic. That's a huge international hub. Yeah. So even at Teterboro, which is a GA facility just across the river, tons of international aircraft there parked yeah. on the ramp. Yeah. So, so yeah, they, they have bigger issues than the ATC system. Um, they don't have enough runways for what they're trying to do in these airports. Well, there's not enough space. That's yeah. right. And they can't really build more on them, I don't think. There's, yeah. there's not enough land. Yeah, at some of those at least. Yeah. So uh, perhaps there'll be more efficiency with, with different types of larger aircraft, which is a little bit out of the realm of our podcast. But yeah. Um, you know, Airbus has pretty pretty interesting wide body airplane. Boeing's yeah. got some big stuff. Yeah. So, 
So we'll see where that goes. But we'll, we'll continue to watch the privatization debate because that is going to be a major one for us over the coming year. It is. And we're going to throw all of our resources behind that, too. You know, yeah. AOPA has got a ton of people that work behind the scenes. Yeah. To me, it's just, I mean, I bring it up several times because to me, it's amazing. I had no idea. Hmm. As a pilot, you know, before I came up here, yeah. I just didn't know everything that was going on behind the scenes to keep the skies open and, and keep regulations at bay. Yeah, cool. Impressive. Yeah, nice. Good, good. Okay, hey, so something more fun now. Let's let's a lot more fun. Yeah, we're gonna bring on Brian in a minute. So Dave Hirschman, you know everybody's idol here at AOPA because he gets to do all the cool stuff. He does. When, <laughs> when it's freezing cold up here, he's in the Bahamas. Yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the opposite. When it was hot here last summer, he cooled off. He did. He um, he went. Uh, Brian Skanky runs this adventure seaplanes. They do a lot of cool. Seaplane trips, guided seaplane trips. Um, Are they based in Minnesota? Yeah, Minnesota. And then he also, I guess, spent some time in Florida. Okay, right. So you can get training from him in either place. But he runs these guided trips. And so he does this trip to what you would think is middle of nowhere, impossible to get to, Churchill, Canada. And Where, where is that? Even? It's way up on, I believe, on the Hudson Bay. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, it's it seems like it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's only a couple of fuel stops by GA. Nice. And it is apparently one of the world's largest concentrations of polar bears. Polar bears? Yeah. And beluga whales, actually. Oh, how cool. Yeah. And so uh, Dave uh, went with Brian on a trip and reported on it. Well, this is the March issue, uh, the March kind of uh, destinations month at AOPA. Nice. And so um, they chatted for a few minutes to kind of talk about that trip and, and some others. So beluga whales. Have you seen a beluga whale? I never have in the wild. At the Atlanta Aquarium, they have beluga whales. They're white. Yeah. Oh, They're yeah. They're cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are. Is the Atlanta Aquarium talk, talk about diversion? The Georgia Aquarium. Is yeah. Yeah. This is it. this massive one where there's like a blue whale or something. They where, have like the only a, one in the world. Or they have whale it? sharks. Oh yeah. They're whale ginormous. Sharks. That's right. They eat. They eat like they don't eat fish. They eat plants. Oh. It's bizarre. Huh. Or plant matter. I still wouldn't want to swim with one though. No, no, no. Me either. But the beluga <laughs> whales are white. They're kinda they're kinda cute. They're, they're cool. like Casper the friendly ghost yeah. kind of things. Yeah. So uh, so Dave and Brian saw this by air. Yeah. That's amazing. That's cool. That would be a great trip. And now as a seaplane pilot myself and you as well. Yeah. We know we can do that. Yep. Go out and use it. It's cool. All right. Hey, good morning, Brian. Good morning, Dave. Okay, so um, first, if you would say your name and spell it, please. Brian Skanky, S-C-H-A-N-C-H-E. Tell me a little bit about the uh, the polar bear trip, because it seems like, you know, I always thought of polar bears as being just extremely far away and inaccessible and only something that you could kind of watch on National Geographic Never the type of wildlife that you would expect to see from a typical GA airplane. How far away do you have to go to see them, and what's the trip like? Our polar bear trip we do is normally six to seven days, departing from Minneapolis. And uh, it's approximately 900 nautical miles up to Churchill, Manitoba. And it's a combination flying up, staying at fishing lodges and Lazy Bear Lodge in Churchill and Normally seeing, oh, on the average trip, probably 40 to 70 polar bears along the Hudson Bay Coast. And do you need any, any any special type of really complex, powerful airplane to get there? No, we've taken everything from Cessna 150s, Piper Super Cubs on floats, to uh, on up to Cessna caravans. But probably the average airplane on our trips is a Cessna 182, 180, 185 
172s. They do the trips very nice. Are there any high elevations to cross along the way? Nope. Our uh, highest altitude is probably in the neighborhood of a thousand thirteen hundred feet. Gotcha. And and uh, and how about is does it have to be a float plane and 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 to go on this trip, or can you do it on wheels? No, we have uh, wheel plane trips available too. In fact, last summer's trip we had two wheel planes along with us on our tour of ten aircraft. Um, we just go to some different uh, stops and different lodges where they have the runways at the fishing lodges also. Now, as you know from being a float plane instructor, one of the drawbacks to the float plane riding is they're hard to rent. Can somebody rent a plane to go on a trip like this? If they've got the uh, experience, uh, sometimes we will rent out one of our additional aircraft, Cessna 180, or anything from a 172 to 180, 185 to go on our guided tours. Um, and if people don't have the experience, they can rent the aircraft and have an experienced instructor fly the right seat with them. And then they usually bring their spouse or friend to to share the trip with them like that. And what's the trip like? What's the experience of going up to the far north like that like? Well, it's uh, I call it a trip of a lifetime, even though I've been doing them for about 20 years now. Um, but it's uh, just flying into the vast wilderness uh, where no roads are. Um, the, the lakes we stop at to go fishing are excellent fishing. Um, and seeing the wildlife, moose, caribou, a bunch of polar bears, and hundreds, if not thousands, of beluga whales in the mouth of the river at Churchill. A lot of birds to sightsee in the history of the Churchill area and the fort, Prince Wales Fort. It's uh, just an outstanding, I call it a flying safari tour. Now, you've been met multiple times. What keeps you coming back? Why do you why, why do you find this attractive time after time? Uh, it's Well, it's just flying along the Hudson Bay coast there and seeing the polar bears is probably the highlight of the trip. And, uh, I could, I could do a trip going up there every week. If I, if I had enough customers to do it, it's just, it's a trip that you don't get tired of doing because the scenery is just so spectacular. Just the adventure and flying in the vast wilderness and seeing all the wildlife and taking a group of people up there is pretty fun, exciting to see them for the first time. Now, I was thinking that that on the trip that we went on, I was a little bit surprised that so many of the uh, the people on the trip were such experienced seaplane pilots. I, I thought that it would be kind of, um, you know, it would be more people more like me who have a lot of enthusiasm for seaplane flying, but not necessarily a huge amount of experience. Why would an experienced seaplane pilot want to go as part of a tour rather than individually? Well, the fuel logistics, uh, when you get up there and having... You know, we we ship our fuel into Churchill, and I've got a fuel fuel uh, pump and resources there, trucks to haul the fuel down to the seaplane base. And if something does go wrong up there, mechanical, um, I've been, being I've been going up there for so many years, and knowing the commercial operators up there, if something does go wrong mechanically, uh, whether you got to have alternate places where to go. So I guess the safety of having uh, the experienced guide to go on the trip is worth worth a lot. And, you know, one thing that, that was, was interesting about our trip is that, um, you know, most of the people didn't know each other before we began, but before the trip was over, everybody was, was making plans for future flying trips together. And I was curious if that is, does that, is that common or was that atypical? Uh, we have a, I always have a saying, we, we meet as strangers and we leave as friends. And our people, some of the guests that we had up on our last summer's Minnesota trip, 
they they were sending emails after and saying they were they just couldn't get back in the routine moving coming back to the Minneapolis. They just were in awe of the trip and they wanted to still be up there. So um, some of our guests from last summer's trip are going on our ten day Arctic above the Arctic Circle trip this this coming August. So that'll be a ten day tour and we'll go about another six hundred miles north of Churchill and where it really gets gets uh, into the desolate tundra Arctic tundra. And what do you see when you go beyond Churchill and further north into the Arctic? We'll see a lot more polar bears. We'll see uh, muskox, a lot more caribou, and some trout fishing that is can't be had anywhere else on the surface. I've never seen any any fishing as good as that. And seeing the native uh, Inuit villages are quite interesting. Also, it's uh, it's ever changing uh, terrain as you go up there too. The rolling hills and the, the vastness up there. And what do these trips cost? I mean, ballpark. What is it? What is the uh, the Churchill trip? That's six or seven days. What, what's a what can someone expect to pay for that? On a guided tr- trip to Churchill and my Cessna 185, we'd probably be looking ballpark with everything inclusive, uh, probably in the neighborhood of ten to twelve thousand. And on the Arctic trip, the ten day Arctic trip, we'd probably be in the neighborhood of eighteen thousand dollars. And that's the Churchill trip. It includes about twenty hours of flying in my Cessna 185 in the Arctic Circle trip. You know, we're probably putting on about 35 hours of flying on that trip. Okay, so that includes the price of of the airplane and and all inclusive for the the whole experience. Yes, that's that's if they fly in my Cessna 185. If they take their own aircraft, obviously it's going to be you know much less expensive. And um and 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 if somebody has their their own aircraft and they 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 meet you at Surfside, for example, where our trip began, what's a what's the typical cost for for that trip? If they meet us uh, with their own airplane at, at uh, Minneapolis, uh, I suppose they would probably looking at spending with fuel, lodging, accommodation, everything, probably in the neighborhood of uh, six thousand for you know for two people. I see. Okay. And um, yeah, I wonder how that compares to other other vacations. Well, I think uh, as far if you look at the quality of trip, flying for a week and uh, with all the fishing and accommodations and and the tours available in Churchill, I think it's quite a bargain. Right, and I know that you're uh, you're in in Florida for the summer, and I wonder how that compares to people that take the family to Disney World for uh, for the week. It's I've not been to Disney World in many years, but uh, I would think to take a family to Disney World, you'd probably spend four or five thousand dollars for a week just to do that. Right, and then you're stuck around a big bunch of crowds of people if that's what you enjoy. <laughs> right, yeah, and and. Uh, and then certainly the places we uh, we went last summer, it's crowds were not an issue. No, no, the biggest crowd was in the uh, in the Legion Club when we were raffling off for uh, the meat raffle at the Legion, which a lot of our guests won a lot of prizes there. <laughs> yeah, that was a few tense moments there when we when uh, you know, I thought we were doing a you know being good guys by by entering the raffle so many times but when we started winning all the drawings i think that that uh that we were kind of wearing out our welcome <laughs> i think the people are jealous there of us but we at least we donated an owner and a prize and we won back to one of the local uh guides and that took us on the tour so that's that's true they're they're all pretty ha- they were happy for us all right well well brian thanks so much uh and and um and tell me uh, what other sorts of tours does adventure seaplanes lead we do tours flying we have some great tours just flying right through the state of minnesota and wisconsin 
going to nice fishing lodges, and we go to uh, we have shorter tours just flying through Ontario and Manitoba, so they don't have to go all the way up to Churchill. But I've been I've been doing many tours, going to fishing lodges and just flying the many 350,000 lakes that uh, Ontario offers, and uh, we've done some backcountry tours, flying in the Idaho Idaho uh, Montana area on wheels. Um, here in Florida, we do tours. In the south winter months, I've done tours going through the Bahamas. So we have them available year-round. And it sounds like the tours are a significant part of Adventure Seaplane's business. Yes. that's. Uh, I try to do more of the advanced tour training tours myself, and then we have our other instructors that do the basic seaplane uh, ratings and training in the, right in the local Minnesota area. Right. So people can come to you for the training that gets them ready to do the more adventurous trips like you're describing. Yes, once they get the once they get the basic seaplane rating, we have options after the rating. People say, "Well, why should I get a seaplane rating?" There's, what are we going to do with it? Well, we have lots of opportunities for pilots to do real uh, nice flying vacations. I see. So, Brian, thank you very much for uh, for the time and and uh, you know I I got to say that polar bear tour to Churchill was unlike any flying I've ever done, and it was a real highlight. Yeah, we we enjoyed taking you up there, Dave, and uh, along with. Mike Pfizer and uh, Mark Baker and the whole crew. And Tom Haynes was just here last week flying with him in my 185. And I think we may be looking at promoting a wheel plane tour, maybe for the faster aircraft, the Beach Beechcraft Pilots Association or something like that. Maybe we'll be looking at around Labor Day weekend, taking a group of wheel planes up to Churchill. Wow, well, that's exciting. And uh, and keep me posted. Good luck with that. Okay. Thank right. you, Dave. Bye, Brian. Okay, bye. All right, David, see, you know why I say Dave is the luckiest guy at AOPA, because he does all the cool stuff. It's a lot of fun, and yeah. he just makes me want to jump on board and maybe stow away in the back yeah. for the next trip. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I think that's uh, that's it for us this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tootless. Find us on aopa.org slash hangertalk. Email us at hangertalk at aopa.org. And don't forget, we're on iTunes and at Sporty's Takeoff app. All right. Awesome. We will see you next time. Thanks, Ian. See you next time for Hangar Talk.